And today we're going to be looking at the word of humanity. Now, we all know that water is essential to our livelihood. As a matter of fact, your body is about 60% water, which means that if you're 220 pounds like I am, you're carrying about 16 gallons of water in your system. That is 16 gallons of water. So when your body is in desperate need of water, of course, you start to dehydrate and you start to get muscle cramps and then headaches. I mean, it is the number one cause of fatigue in people. It is the number one reason why people get tired is because they don't have enough water in their system because your body cannot operate without water. And of course, we've all heard of the people that are out in the desert that actually lose their mind, which means they start to go crazy because they don't have enough water and their mind starts to shut down. You know, they say that you can go without food for two and a half weeks, but you can only go without water for five days. So the fifth word in the series of the seven words from the cross is two very simple words that Jesus spoke. He said, I'm thirsty. And we are calling this the word of humanity. And I'm thirsty is the shortest words of the seven things that Jesus said from the cross. In fact, in Greek, it's only one word. It's dipsao. But it has a tremendous significance for our lives when you understand the reason and the meaning behind what Jesus is saying. When Jesus said, I'm thirsty... He had already been on the cross for six hours. The last three sayings of Jesus, including this one, are said in his final seconds right before his death. And in John chapter 19, started in verse 28, it says this. After this, Jesus knew that everything had been completed so that the scriptures would come true. He said, I am thirsty. There was a jar full of vinegar there, so the soldiers soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a branch of a hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' mouth. It says, Now Jesus knew everything had been completed. All of the payment of sin had been done. And now he says, I thirst. You know, what I find ironic about this statement is that we've learned throughout this whole series that Jesus was first arrested at night, taken through six trials without any sleep, without any food, without any water. Then it says that the soldiers beat him. They made a crown of thorns and they crushed it onto his head. Then they scorched him, which means that they whipped his back to a bloody pulp. You know, many people died before from the scourging before they even had a chance to be crucified. And then he's crucified, his two hands nailed, his feet nailed. And it's ironic that Jesus never said one thing about that pain. And now he says, I'm thirsty. And I wonder, was that the worst of his pain? I mean, why did he say that? Certainly, there was a physical reason. Obviously, he's thirsty. He's dehydrated. He's gone for 12 hours without having any, anything to drink. And obviously, with the loss of blood, he's certainly thirsty. He's been hanging on the cross for six hours. So there's a physical reason. There's also a practical reason. You see, he wanted to moisten his lips so that he can be strong enough so that he could say the last two phrases, which we're going to look at the next couple of weeks. And those are the phrases of victory. So he wanted to shout them out so that his voice would be clear and that people would be able to hear him. But what else can we learn from the thirst of Jesus? What does it tell us about him? Why did Jesus say, I thirst? Well, I think the first thing that we can learn that about Jesus when he says, I thirst, was that it shows that he really was human. And you can write that down in your notes outline. When Jesus says, I thirst, it shows that he really was human, fully human, we know that Jesus was God, but Jesus was also human. And some people think that he was half God, half human. But let me tell you, folks, Jesus was not a hybrid. 
fully human so that he could fully experience the pain and the suffering of life. His needs, his needs were just like your needs, and they were just like my needs. In fact, the Bible says in Philippians 2, Jesus gave up his place with God and made himself nothing. He was born to be a man and he became a servant. When he was living as a human, he humbled himself and was fully obedient to God, even when that caused his death on the cross. And because we know that Jesus was fully human, we learn the second thing, and that is that Jesus understands my pain. Jesus understands our pain this morning, and that's part of Jesus saying, I thirst. We need to realize that Jesus understands what we're going through right now. He knows all about it. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, starting in verse 4, He took our suffering on himself and felt our pain for us. He was wounded for the wrong we did and crushed for the evil that we did. The punishment which he took, which made us well, was given to him, and we are all healed because of his wounds. Now, we know that Jesus had at least 370 or so wounds, we had, he had two in his hands, two in his feet. He had a pierced side, a crown of thorns on his head. He was beat up. 360 lashes ripped the flesh of his back. And I don't know about you guys this morning. I don't know if there's anyone here in physical pain. Maybe some of you here are dealing with some chronic physical pain. But let me tell you something. Jesus understands exactly what you're going through right now. I mean, you may have different internal problems. You may even have migraines. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus even understands that because he went through all of that. But he also understands emotional pain. He knows about your emotional pain. He knows if you've been abused. He knows if you've been beaten up. He knows if you've been rejected, mocked, and spit upon because he went exactly through the same thing. I mean, if you've ever been mistreated or misunderstood or devalued, guess what? Jesus understands your pain. And if you've gone through the depths of despair and depression because of the struggles of life and what life brings you, Jesus understands exactly what that is all about. You see, we have a Savior who understands what we go through because he was one of us. The Bible says it like this in Hebrews 4. Our high priest, which means that's Jesus, understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same temptations that we do, yet he did not sin. He knows what you're going through. And when we pray, we need to know and understand and realize that when we reach out and we cry out to God, he knows exactly what you are going through. The third thing we can learn is that he really was the promised Savior. Throughout the Old Testament and the entire Bible, God provides 388 prophecies about the coming Messiah. He gives conditions of what is to happen in order to know that it is the one promised Messiah. So for Jesus to be who he claimed to be, he had to fulfill every one of those prophecies, and he did, every single one of them. Prophecies like the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, then he will perform miracles and raise the dead, then he would be betrayed by a friend, falsely accused, proven innocent, and executed anyway. One of them says that he will be hung in a cross, which is amazing because that prophecy came about a thousand years before they even invented crucifixion. It also says that he will be tortured and that he will forgive his captors. And we learned from the first week that he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. We spoke about this as for the word of forgiveness. And then it says that he will be forsaken by God, that he will die a cruel death. And we talked about this last week when he says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? 
you know, the mathematical probability of one person fulfilling 388 different predictions, every one of them to a T is astronomical. And if you follow thousands of years of prophecies, it actually takes more faith to believe that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. So Jesus is hanging on the cross, and there's one last prophecy that has not been fulfilled. And it's from the book of Psalms, and in Psalm 69, 21, it says, When I was thirsty, they offered me vinegar. So when Jesus says that I'm thirsty, we learn three things. It shows us that he really was human, not just God. It shows that he understands our pain, and it also shows that he was the promised Messiah, that he finishes his prophecies. And, you know, I've really enjoyed this series because every single one of those words, like I told you, has a profound meaning for our lives today. But what keeps coming back to my mind over and over again is that this series is really about a call to action. There are many things that we learn from the seven last words, but I am convinced that our natural response can only be to act after we have heard what Jesus went through. Once we understand how Jesus is willing to suffer, to thirst for me so that I may go to heaven, and once we understand that Jesus is going to thirst for our benefit, our natural response should be to act in kind. The question is, have you ever gone thirsty for anybody else's benefit? The Bible says this in Romans 5, God demonstrates his love for us. In other words, he proves it. He showed it to us. It says, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the phrase that we're looking at this week in I Thirst was the life verse and the theme of Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, who founded the Sisters of Charity and Mother Teresa's Home for the Dying, You know that in those homes, they took in the poorest of the poor and they cared for them? And in every one of those homes, there was a picture of Jesus hanging on the cross. And below their picture, there was two words, I thirst. Because Mother Teresa said that it is our duty to quench the thirst of Christ by helping others who are thirsty. And we know that God is present with us today because the Bible tells us that where two or more are gathered, there he will be also. But let's pretend just for a second that Jesus was here with us physically and is standing on this stage. And Jesus said two simple words, I'm thirsty. I mean, how many of us would not jump at the chance or would jump at the chance to offer Jesus something to drink, even if it was just a cold cup of water? But forget water. I think most of us would bring out our Gatorade and probably our finest wine. The point is that we would give Jesus our best. You see, our aim should be to satisfy the thirst of Jesus on the cross by showing our love in action. Love in action is when we meet the needs of other people in their thirstiness, in their physical thirst, emotional, spiritual, or whatever, out of love for Christ who thirsts for us. You see, billions of people are spiritually all around you. But nobody's ever going to come up to you and say, hey, what? guess what, I am spiritually thirsty today. No, they're going to say statements like, I'm unhappy. I just don't feel fulfilled by my life. I'm unsatisfied. My life feels empty. There's got to be more. I'm stressed out. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm barely hanging on. I'm tired. I'm sick. You know, those are just a few of spiritual thirst statements. But people want to hear a word from the Lord. They're looking all over for it and not finding it. You see, spiritual thirst is all around us, and it's evident to us because we can see it in people's actions. All you have to do is look around and see by people's actions that they are spiritually thirsty. You know, long ago in the book of Amos, it says this, the time is coming when I will send a famine on the land. People will be hungry, 
but not for bread. They will be thirsty, but not for water. They will hunger and thirst for a message from the Lord. In other words, what am I here for? What is my life all about? People will stagger. In other words, just kind of bouncing around everywhere from sea to sea, searching. You guys notice that everyone's in a search for something today? For a word of the Lord running here and going there. You guys ever notice that everyone's in a hurry these days? But they will not find it. Beautiful girls and fine young men will grow weary. That means that they're discouraged, that they're depressed, that they don't have a lot of hope. Beautiful girls and fine young men really sounds like Orange County today, doesn't it? And then it ends by saying, thirsty for the Lord's word. I mean, is that a perfect description of our society today? People that look good on the outside but are empty inside, depressed, discouraged, defeated, in despair, empty, unfulfilled, unsatisfied, hopping from thing to thing, looking for what's going to quench their thirst, what's going to meet their needs, what's going to give them fulfillment. The point is, what is our responsibility as believers to all of these people and to the world? How can we show the same love in action that Christ showed us and satisfy people's thirst? Well, I think we need to realize that when we serve Jesus by serving others, the only way you can serve God now is by serving other people in his name and helping others in his name. And Jesus talked about this. In fact, one day people are going to come and say, Lord, when did we serve you? And here's what it says in Matthew 25. Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or Lord, when did we ever see you thirsty and give you something to drink? And he, God, will say to them, I assure you, when you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you were doing it for me. Think about the irony of this phrase. Jesus is God. That means that he created every ounce of water in the universe. Jesus created every lake, every stream, every river, every ocean, every glacier, every single drop of water. So the source of all the water in the universe says, I'm thirsty? I mean, certainly he could have just done a miracle to quench his thirst at that time. I mean, if he could turn water into wine, he can certainly make this water appear for himself because he could do anything that he wanted to. But just Jesus doesn't do a miracle on the cross. Instead, he asked for human assistance. He says, can anybody help me out? I thirst. At this point, his hands are nailed, and a soldier who's not even a believer runs and gets a sponge, dips it in the vinegar. And I know that we think that vinegar is gross to drink, but let me tell you, vinegar at that time was a drink called Pasca, which was really like wine vinegar diluted with water, which made the water safe to drink. So the, whole, the soldier holds it up to his mouth. The point is God does many things through us. Sometimes we pray and we see people out there in need or we may see people suffering or we see catastrophes and we pray, God, please help them. Why aren't you doing something? Well, I believe this morning that God is asking us the same thing. Please help them. Why aren't you doing something? Suffering is always the opportunity for service. Suffering always opens the door for love. Every time you see somebody you need around you, God says, here is your opportunity. Are you going to show love? Are you going to act? Are you going to satisfy their thirst? The fifth thing that we learn is that God notices the smallest of service. Jesus, God, notices every single service, even if it's small. And a lot of times we think, you know, I want to do something great for God. But God says it doesn't have to be something huge. It can be something, anything, even if it's small. 
because the small things are all around you every single day. And you're not going to get to do the great things unless you start with the small things. Because the Bible says if you're faithful in little, you will be faithful in much. You see, it is not the size of your service that matters. It is the amount of love that you put into it. What matters is serving in love. And Matthew 10.42 says, If you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. You don't have to be a preacher or a teacher. This verse says that all you have to do is give a cup of cold water to somebody who needs it, and you do it in the name of the Lord, and you do it in love, and God says that it counts, and that you will be rewarded, and he says that that is in ministry. You know, a couple of years ago, a couple from our church went to India, and they came back with a desire to provide clean drinking water because their hearts were broken. Their hearts were broken over the fact that there was a village that didn't have a commodity which we all take to take for granted. The the funds were raised, and last year, a new well was built with the effort of one couple from this church. The reason I say that is because Think of the impact that we could make as a congregation if all our hearts were broken for the physically and the spiritually thirsty. And now this couple, Marlon, is taking a team of 11 women back to India to satisfy satisfy people's thirst for the gospel. Satisfying the thirst of others requires a call to action. It forces us to take inventory. When Christ says, I'm thirsty, he is offering us an opportunity to quench the thirst by serving others. And just like our hearts are broken at that moment when we see Christ hanging on the cross about to be crucified, just like our hearts are broken at that moment, so should our hearts be broken for the things that break God's heart. The question is, has your heart been broken for the things that break God's heart? Has your heart been broken for the lost, for the least, for the needy, for the injustice in this world? You see, I believe that all of us here have had our hearts broken by God at some point or another. Perhaps we haven't paid attention. Perhaps we're not willing to do anything about it. Perhaps we didn't notice. You see, I remember my first mission trip to Mexico. I went down there begrudgingly. I didn't really want to go. My wife asked me to go, and I went begrudgingly because, you see, I had spent so much hard work. My family had worked so hard to get out. The last thing I wanted to do was go back. But after much prayer, I decided to, de- to go. And it only took four days of being down there. And I recall seeing some kids that were outside and they were playing in the dirt and they were playing around and some were fighting and they were dirty and, you know, some of them looked hungry and a lot of them looked like they had no direction. And it was at that moment that I saw myself in them. I remember the days when I was out there, just like those little boys when I used to live in Mexico, and I was out there playing in the dirt, and I was probably all dirty, and I remember times when I was hungry. And it was at that time that I got an overwhelming feeling that I really can't explain to you this morning, except to say that I felt for those boys. I started to wonder what would happen to them. Would they ever be able to leave or get out like I did? Would they ever earn more than $50 a week? Would they ever be able to contribute to society? The sad reality is that most of them won't. Most of them will be stuck in that cycle forever. Then I started to feel this pain that I'm not boasting about this morning, this yearning that I wanted to do more for them. And it was at that moment that I felt my heart breaking for these boys and for that church. 
It was at that moment that I realized that I wasn't special for being able to leave that city or being able to get out. It was at that moment that God had allowed me to get out, and I realized that, I, that he allowed me to do that because he wanted me to go back and try, at least try to make a difference. It is as if I now had a responsibility to go back. The feeling was undeniable. God was breaking my heart for the people and for the church. Folks, God will break your heart for different things or for different people if you will allow it. Now, I've been to the Philippines and I've been to Ecuador and God has allowed me to make, to have that feeling every single time. And I have to be honest with you this morning, I don't really like it because I know that it comes with a price and that it comes with a responsibility. I mean, have you guys ever wondered? Have you guys ever wondered why you live in an affluent area while 80% of humanity lives on under $10 a day? I would suggest to you that one of the reasons is because God wants you, every single one of you, to do more. We have a responsibility to do more. We need to play our part in quenching people's thirst. As a matter of fact, Luke 12, 48 says, To whom much is given, much is required. And what is required? Well, James chapter 1, verse 27 tells us what is required. Religion that God our fathers accepts as pure and faultless is this. And then he tells you what is required. To look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. All of you here are uniquely positioned to look after the widows and the orphans. The widows and the orphans are the least, the lost, the needy. And all of you here have experiences, both good and bad. You have passion. You have resources that God can use to serve someone who is hurting. I mean, if you've had a bad childhood, you are uniquely prepared to minister to children in need or in bad situations. If you've gone through a difficult divorce, guess what? You can now help someone who's going through something similar. If you have overcome a sickness, you can now help others in bad situations. All of us here can relate to some struggles in our life that we can use now to help others with. We are all gifted in different areas. God has given every single one of you some very unique talents and gifts that are amazing. But I'm going to tell you this morning that those gifts and talents are just not intended for you and for your family. We have a responsibility to serve others in need. So again, I ask you, what is God breaking your heart for? I would encourage you to listen to that tug and to not ignore it any longer. If God is allowing you to feel that burden, then he wants you to do something about it. You specifically, not anybody else. You know, I remember some time ago, a gentleman had gone on a missions trip with me, and we came back and we had a meeting because he had a lot of great ideas on how we could do better for the, for the ministry where we went. So for the next 30 minutes, he shared all these great ideas, and I got so excited. I got so excited that he had caught the vision, and, I, and I, then I asked, so when can we put these together? When, when do you want to meet so that we can start doing them? And he says, oh, no. I didn't mean for me to do them. I meant for you to do them. They're ideas for you. And I love great ideas, but what we need are people for the harvest. Good ideas are good ideas, and, but if they have no action attached to them, they remain just that, good ideas. If God tugs at your heart and gives you some great ideas, guess what? He wants you to get involved in implementing them. If God breaks your heart for someone or something, he's asking you to do it. Otherwise, he would break somebody else's heart for the same thing. 
Don't ignore that tug in your heart. Don't ignore the compassion that he allows you to feel for others. That is God asking you to do something about it. And in Colossians 3.12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that is you, you are God's chosen people, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If we clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, and humility, we will find people all over the place who are thirsty. But you can start right here at Canyon Hills. If you haven't gone to Long Beach to feed the homeless, then I would encourage you to go to Long Beach. We've been doing that ministry for eight years. And I have to tell you, I don't always feel like going. There are weekends when I'm exhausted after preaching, and then we have to go cook the meal, and then we have to go there in the evening and feed the homeless, and I'm always whining throughout the day. I don't really want to go. But it is at those times that God allows me to feel his hand at work, either through somebody that goes for the first time or the people that we're ministering to over in Long Beach. And it's at that point that I step back and I just say, thank you, God, for allowing me to experience this. And I apologize. I'm sorry for being such a whiny baby about it. The point is that you're not always going to feel like doing these things. But if you do them, God will bless you. Man, this is for you. Our Juarez mission is coming up in October again. And did you know that that church has now grown through over 300 people as a result of the efforts of a lot of men that are here today? Now, so we're going to go and continue to help them build their sanctuary so that they can have more people in-house. I mean, think of the impact that you guys will be making for eternity and for congregations to come if you help that church get bigger and bigger through the efforts of one trip. Our hub ministry needs you. Our hub ministry is our ushers and our greeters. And did you know that when someone comes for the first time, they know within the first eight minutes if they're going to come back to this church? I mean, think how important our first touch team is. Think how important every single job that takes place at this church is to everyone else and reaching out to the thirsty. You know, yesterday morning I came here early to finish up some things, and there was a gentleman outside all by himself, and he was vacuuming the baptismal and cleaning it up. And for two hours he did that, and then he got out the leaf blower and he started sucking up leaves so that this church can look pretty, so that when you guys come in this morning it looks clean. One person can make a difference. There's a couple that goes in my office every Sunday morning to pray for every single one of you that is going to come into this sanctuary. My point is that there is a lot of opportunity for ministry right here at Canyon Hills. If you just answer that tug in your heart and say, pick me, I will do it, Lord. Micah chapter 6, verse 8 says, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? And here it is. This is what he requires, to act. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That is what being a Christian is all about. To act justly and show mercy in practical ways. And if you're not doing that, then I really doubt our Christianity. Because that is what it's all about. Helping people in need when they're thirsty physically, emotionally, relationally, financially, spiritually, in many, many other ways. There are thirsty people all over. You know, I was watching the opening ceremonies of the Olympic on Friday, and I really enjoyed the evolution of Britain's history when they started with the Industrial Revolution and on to today. And in between, there was a picture of a man that reminded me of a story today. And it's about Winston Churchill, and I want to share it with you this morning. It was in the early days of World War II. 
And Winston Churchill called Britain's coal miners together because a great crisis had arisen. The miners were not getting enough coal out to fuel the factories that produced the planes and the ships and the war equipment that was so desperately needed at that time. When the prime minister arose, he said, I want to give it to you straight. Nothing, 200 guns, no more. 20 tanks, that is all. And I heard he, Hitler, was coming with a million men. And I said to myself, the British Navy will put 500,000 of them to the bottom of the channel. But what will we do with the half a million of them ashore? For an hour and 40 minutes, he outlined the desperate need and the desperate situation confronting Britain at that time. Then in a stirring language, he said, when at last it is all over, we'll parade these streets again. And as you go by, people will call out. And where were you? Someone will answer, I marched with the 8th Army. And someone else will say, I was in the skies over Britain. And another will reply, I was in the merchant marines pushing the ships through the, through the channel and, and through the sea up the archangel. Then I shall be standing there and I will call out, and where were you? And I will hear you answer, we were down in the black pits right up against the face of the coal. Then thousands of coal miners arose with tears and streaming down their faces and cheered the prime minister, and the coal came out. You see, they had caught a fresh vision of the importance of their work. And I thought about us this morning. When it's all said and done for all of us, and we are parading the streets of heaven, and it may be that someone will ask you, and where were you? You see, many impressive answers will be given, but none more satisfying than to say, I was doing my part, reaching out to the people who, who were thirsty for the gospel of Christ. I want to ask you this morning, is anybody going to be in heaven because of you? You see, you don't have to be a preacher or a teacher or a theologian, or you don't have to have the Bible memorized, but you do have to be willing to do three things. You have to be willing to feel God's tug in your heart. You have to be willing to let God break your heart for something or someone, and then you have to be willing to act on it. I'm going to call the worship team up at this moment, and I want to keep asking you, what level of love are you willing to show? Are you willing to sign up to serve? Are you willing to give of your resources? Are you willing to start by something as simple as inviting someone to church? What are you willing to do to help somebody have their eternal destiny secured and to quench their thirst? You know, as the band sings, sings these next songs, I just want to encourage you guys to do many, many things. If you're here and you are thirsty because you cry out to God during this song, this is your time of reflection. Just cry out to him. He understands your pain. He understands what you're going through. This is a time where you can do that. If you're here during this next song and God is tugging at your hearts because I know he has been doing it for many, many years, maybe this is the day where you answer and you say, God, pick me. Use this song to reflect. Use this song to let God deal with your heart. Ask God to show you opportunities to get involved. This message of thirstiness is for all of us. When Christ thirsts for us, the only thing we can do is to thirst for others.